Well, sweet. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start it differently tonight. I'm going to pray for you. So here's what I want you to do. I don't know if you've had a summer that's been spiritually dialed in. You've been passionately following Jesus. How many of you went to camp a few weeks ago? And, and, and so I'm sure that was good, and this is like your first gathering since then, and there's a lot of you guys who've been dialed in. There's some of us who've been kind of walking uh, far behind, some of us kind of feeling our way out. we got a lot of stuff happening in our lives, good and bad, so we're going to start tonight. It's going to be a cool talk, but we're going to pray. I'm going to do that for you guys, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to launch into where we're going. So, Jesus, I pray that you would speak loud and clear tonight. I pray that these students, these high school students who love you, um, God, that tonight they would hear your word clearly, that who cares uh, what I have to say. It's only what your scripture has to say because it is truth. And so, God, I pray that you would bring that to fruition in our life, that we would see it, and that we would dial in, that we could actually lock in to what you're saying for a few moments. We could stop our busy brains. We could stop all of the distractions, good and bad in our life, and focus in on you. Uh, Fortunately, I pray. Amen. Anybody ever heard of the investing solutions firm, since you're all into investments and solutions, called TD Ameritrade? Yeah, well, you have it, okay? Um, and so if you have it, it's okay. Actually, you're in the middle of a series. How many of you have been coming here on Sunday mornings through the summer that you've been spending your time here with? We're doing a series called Paul's what? Paul's Travel Blog. Well, what we've been doing is walking through some of the epistles, the pastoral letters that Paul wrote to these different churches uh, really focusing on, uh, focusing on Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians. So because when Anson asked me about two weeks ago saying, dude, I've got to speak at a camp out of town. Uh, can you talk for me on that Wednesday night? I'm like, what do you want to do? He goes, bro, wherever you want to go. They've been talking about Paul's travel blog. Funny enough, I spent my Sunday, last Sunday, at the Hamilton Mill campus, and we opened up and went into this. So we're going to kind of stay on the idea of Paul's travel log blog, but with a big idea that actually applies to you on some deeper levels in a a kind of off-the-beaten-path radar book. All that to say, Ameritrade, investing solutions firm, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, whether you know it or not, the internet was not as cool or like it wasn't just a given like it is in your life. Like in your life, you can type in Google and you can find what you need to find. But we actually went through a phase 10 or 12 years ago where we were as adults and me when I was your age, we were kind of brought into what all this internet technology could be and mean. There was no such thing as online banking. There was no such thing as investments and mutual funds, stuff that you're going to figure out. Some of you already know, your parents know all about. And so this company named TD Ameritrade, they decided we're going to take investing the movies you see when you hear of Wall Street or something like that. We're going to take what they do um, and kind of make it for the everyday man. But their, their, their big worry was when you say investments, mutual funds, stocks and bonds, you get the, the basically the way you're looking at me is the way most people are going to look at them. Like, well, what are you talking about? That's for like people in suits with ties and a lot more money. And, and so that's what they thought just of the ordinary Americans. They, they, they had this brilliant marketing campaign, this ad campaign. They really kind of say, be real careful before you judge. Be real careful before you make an assumption. You tracking with me? Make sure you don't kind of rule us out before you really know the whole truth. When they were kind of taking the investment thing online, the mutual funds and stocks and bonds online. They were going, be careful not to judge. So here's what I want you to do. 
I found the old marketing ad campaign. Some of you guys may remember these commercials. Most of you won't. They were brilliant. They were funny, different, but it's really going to get us trekking to where we want to go tonight. So here's four different commercials that they kind of played, helping people change their minds about the way they think about it. My all-time favorite commercials, you can find them on YouTube, and it's not they're not Jason Britt's talk, but uh, the whole idea is don't judge. So check these out, and then we'll launch in. Pull the lights down, too, fellas. How much are they asking? Well, that's a lot of money for a deck. Well, I hate to tell you this, but you're getting robbed. Did you hear me? You're getting robbed. has a fractured fibula, mm -hmm. given a mild sedative. So he could be able to go on tomorrow. Daddy's gonna be so excited. That killed him. So it's, it's the idea that it's all in the way you see things. What was not intended was what was interpreted, right? And what these situations, scenarios set up was whether you like it or not, there was a perception that was had. And here's what I know. At some point, perception becomes reality. I learned it best a few years ago at my 10-year high school reunion. Uh, dude, I was at my, it was 10-year, I'm only 30, but I was at my 10-year high school reunion like two years ago. And, and, and I was, I graduated, which is, I'm actually kind of a local guy, just to take a poll, how many of you guys have lived here in this area, like Buford, Lawrenceville, Decula, wherever you're at, right here in this northern Gwinnett area, how many of you guys have lived in this area for 10 years or longer, 10 years or longer, that's a lot of you, cool, how many 10 years or less, 10 years or less, cool, awesome, awesome, and, and here, here's the big idea, there's a lot of people, that's why there's such things as, anybody going to Mountain View High School, Mountain View this year, Woo! see, there you go, Mountain View, that's right. Uh, there's all, like, when I went to school, there was no Mill Creek. Here's the deal. When I went to school, Collins Hill didn't come around until my junior year. Like, Collins Hill, you guys went on the map, right? And there was, like, Decula, and there was, like, Central Gwinnett and North Gwinnett, and Mill Creek was, like, Hog Mountain area, you know? There was not a Hamilton Mirror. Ham Nobody goes, hey, where you live? I live up toward Hamilton Mill. No, no, no. I live in Hog Mountain, right? And there was no uh, Mall of Georgia. We actually, instead of going to P.F. Chang's, when we would go over to where the Mall of Georgia was, we would shoot and kill our own food because we'd go deer hunting there, right? And so that was like, this is 12 years ago. This is when, like, you're, like, four and five years old, okay? And, and, and then Highway 20 wasn't, like, 
you know, a freaking, you know, expressway metropolis of the world with a brave stadium in the mall of Georgia and every restaurant and every corporate evil in the world and all these, no, just kidding, but all these different, and there wasn't a big 12 stone over there. It was a two-lane road. You came to the stop sign, adults, you'll remember this, at, at stop sign at Gravel Springs and Highway 20. And then you take a left on a two-lane road, and it seemed like you would drive a million years to get from Buford to Lawrenceville, and there was nothing. You didn't want to run out of gas, right? I mean, so this is the world I lived in. And it's the world I knew, and, like, I graduated from Decula High School. Come on, what, what? Yeah. Oh, so, so here, okay. Yeah, okay. Weirdo. No, just kidding. Yeah, I'm with you, bro. So, I, so here, here was the, but here's the deal. With, like, 200 people was in my graduating class. Like, y'all have 200 people in your classroom, right? And so I had like 200 people in my whole graduating class. Now, listen to me. Track so I, I, it doesn't bother me that bad because here, here's what I know. When I grew up in this small town of Decula, you would have to drive to Lawrenceville to get groceries, right? And if I wanted to go on a date when I was your age in high school, you would actually have to get in your car, and here's where you have to go, to Gwinnett Place Mall. You guys don't even know where Gwinnett Place Mall is, right? I know you do, I'm joking, but it's like you got to take a day lunch to get there, you know, because it's so far. Shh. But, that, and so it's not been that bad to me because it's like, dude, there's different things around. But my friends, they're 28 years old, and it's like, as you can tell, I'm trying to get this thing right, and it's like they're talking, I'm talking to a bunch of 80-year-old men on grumpy old men, because I'm like, hey, Jason, where? they're like, where do you live at, Jason? Well, I still live in... Tequila, Buford area right there, and I work at 12 Stone Church. It's a church right there in Lawrenceville area, great church. And I go, where do you live? Well, we live up above Jefferson. Well, we live out in Commerce. Well, we live up in the North Georgia Mountains. Well, we live in South Georgia. Well, we live in Alabama. Well, we live in Tennessee. And here's what they would say. There's too much traffic, too many red lights, too many people, too many neighborhoods. You know, and, and, all, and it's not the same place I grew up in. And you're going, dude. And what I saw as opportunities, they saw as obstacles. And here's the deal. Look at me. It's all in perspective. Same thing, same situation, but you see it two different ways. I would argue most of the quarrels between you and your friends is all a perspective thing. Same situation, same circumstance, two sets of eyes. And here's what I would say. Perspective. As a 16-year-old, as a 15-year-old, as an 18-year-old about to go to college, your perception and your perspective has everything to do with your spiritual journey. The way you see things, the way you perceive things. If you got your Bible, an off-the-track book that you normally don't look at, the book of 1 Thessalonians. Here's what I want you to turn. If you don't have it, that's okay. But I want us to sit down on this because it's all about the way we see things. And some of you are going into high school, back to your school, and you're passionate for Jesus. And in two weeks, you go back into kind of the rat race of being a high schooler. And it really, de de uh, your passion will be determined about, by your perspective. And some of you are going off to college. And here's what I'm going to say. As well-meaning as you are and as good intention as you are, your passion will be fueled because of your perspective. Because of the way you see things when it comes to relationship with God. So it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. We're going to have some fun along the way. But why don't you trek with me? Here's what you need to know. Why perspective? Because at some point, perspective becomes reality. And, and, and reality is what ultimately happens is the, what we react to. What our perspective is becomes a reality. And at some point, it sets in and just becomes our life. Whether it's real or not. So Paul writes this, and he's writing this letter, like you've talked about. KQ took you through it if you were here at Highway 20 on Sunday morning through Ephesus, right? And, and so he writes this letter to the Thessalonians, and here's what you need to know. 
It's a major city. It was a major harbor city. It was in the Roman Empire, but it was governed by local officials, which meant it didn't look just like the rest of the Roman Empire. It was a melting pot, if you will. And what I mean by melting pot is that it was a lot of different religious beliefs and a lot of different religious understandings. And, and there was a Greek influence, which means there was a bunch of gods and goddesses. And then there was a heavy Jewish influence, which meant there was Yahweh, Father God. And there was all these different religious understandings and views. And, and, and Thessalonica was in uh, this harbor town where all these different people had trade routes. It was just kind of like a New York City of its day or a metro Atlanta of its day. Over 100,000 people were population, which was majorly big. One guy said this, it was to the key to the whole of Macedonia. Here's what it said. Thessalonica narrowly escaped being the capital of the world, most influential place around. So Paul goes there, and he spends some time there, and, and ministry goes well, but he gets ran out of town, so he writes them a letter by some of the people who weren't happy with him. They run him out of town, so he writes the believers a letter. And here's what's way different. Here's what I want you to catch, and we're going to get into it. Here's what's way different about what Paul writes. In most scenarios, Paul would spend, if you've read any of Paul's writings, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, here's what Paul does. He takes the first 10 to 12 verses and he says this. Thank you guys. You've been awesome. I praise God for this. I praise God for that. And then he starts smacking them around. You need to watch out for this. You need to watch out for that. You need to kind of get with this. And, you, and he basically corrects their theology, correct, corrects their behavior. And, all kind of, and he would spend the first 10 to 12 verses, and then he would unpack this whole deal. Not so with this book. Of a five-chapter book, Paul, Paul spends 70% of the book, three chapters, telling them how good they are. Telling them how much he loves them, about their faith, about their deeds, about their compassion, about all these different things. And he's talking about chronicling the relationship, letting them know what had happened while he was there, why he loved them so much. He was praising them. And so you sit back and go, well, what was it that they got? What was it that this church, because for me here, I would love for Paul to write something like that to me. And here's what Paul says to him. It's in the middle of chapter one and chapter three, in the middle of two, here, here's where we're going to sit down for a second tonight. Paul writes them and says this, talking about their perspective and talking about their understanding. He says this, and we also, this is chapter 2, verse 13. It's page 1169. If you've got the Worship Pew Bible, if you've got your own Bible, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Here's what Paul says. And we also thank God continually because you, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, here it is. You accepted it not as the word of man, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And here's what Paul says. What, the way you received what we told you was completely different than the way most perceived. Remember, he says, you received the word. The apostle John says this. See if you know this verse. Some of you fill this in. John chapter 1, verse 1, John's writing about this person, Jesus, and he says this, In the beginning was the, and the word was with, and the word was. Or you can interpret it like this. This is what he's saying. The word is referring to Jesus, and we could say this because John's talking about the same thing Paul's talking about. He goes, you've received the word, and John's talking about this word, and you could say that John 1, 1 passage like this. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, right? 
And Paul, when Luke in the book of Acts, who tells us all about the early church is writing, here's what he says because he's talking about Paul's ministry to this church at Thessalonica and all the good things that have happened. And, and he's writing about this. So here's what Luke says about Paul when he went to this town. This is what he did and this is what they received. You don't have to turn there. Let me read it to you. It says this, as his custom was when he was in Thessalonica, Paul went to the synagogue, this is in Acts chapter 17, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, when Paul says, thank God, because the way you received the words was not as a word of God, but not as a word of man, excuse me, but as a word of God, he's referring to this Jesus. Because it's the idea that Jesus was this promise of God that we're going to unpack. Because in prophets hundreds of years in advance, Isaiah, Zechariah, Micah, and King David had talked about this Jesus, the Son of God to come. Zechariah, or excuse me, Isaiah said that he would be born of a virgin. Miracle birth, what we celebrate Christmas. There would be a miracle conception, this Messiah, this promise of God, this Jesus. That he would come to set his, the captives free, talking about sin. And then, uh, uh, what is it, Micah talks about how he was, would be born in the town of Bethlehem. Zechariah talks about how he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. King David talks about this Messiah, this Jesus. Hundreds of years before crucifixion was even a, uh, a form of punishment, David talks about this and says, this Messiah will be crucified before crucifixion was even on the scene. And then King David said he will raise again on the third day, be resurrected to defeat sin. Isaiah points to the resurrection. And so for hundreds of years people have been waiting in anticipation for this Jesus and the way they received what Paul was telling them was this it was this Jesus that changed everything Jesus 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 simple to us right we've heard it so many times but let's unpack it for a second because the question is this if that's how they received it then how do you and I at 12 Stone Church how do you and I as 16 17 30 year olds adults in the room how do we receive it honestly if Paul was writing to us, 12 Stone Church, hello, or if Paul was writing to us as individuals, how much time would he spend rem uh, or excuse me, encouraging and exhorting us for the life that we were living because of the way that we had received this Jesus? And how much time would he spend uh, reminding and rebuking us for the life that we were choosing to live because of the way we had received these words of Jesus as just some mere man, Right? How much time would he spend? And here's the answer. It depends on the way that you've received it. Because here's what I know. We say one thing, but our actions speak a whole lot louder. And if we've received this Jesus as the words of men, at best it's a behavior modification plan. What I mean by this is at best it's like this litmus test that you're trying to behave this certain way. At, if, this, if this Jesus, even though you say he's, if we've just received this as some type of religion or man, or, if at best Jesus is, here, here's what I love, he's an example to follow. He's a better way to live. It's basically just kind of a behavior alter, altering type thing. 
that I was living this way and now because Jesus says this and the Bible says this and I think it's a better way, I'll live like this. Is that how I've received it? If it's the words of man, that's the best it has to offer. But see, if it's the words of God, it changes everything. Here's what, here, listen to me. One shapes our morality, the other transforms our desires. One view, view of man, even though we'd say it's a view of God, the best Jesus does for us is shape our morality. The other view is it transforms everything, transforms our desires. It's all in the way we see, but why? Because at some point, your perspective on who Jesus is and on what this scripture is all about and this promise of God shapes your reality. Why? Because perspective becomes reality. What's your reality? Because A.W. Tozer, I don't know how many of you guys like reading, or excuse me, like, I mean, I know you all like reading, but I don't know how many of you guys like reading, like, real, like, make, make you think type stuff. A.W. Tozer. All of us guys here have read it, Pursuit of God. Here's what he says about American Christians. This is a really indicting statement. He says this. Tozer says it like this. To many, God is but an ideal. Another name for goodness or beauty or truth, or he is law or life. For millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to the non-Christian. And here's what he says. They go through life trying to love an idea and be loyal to a mere principle. I'm loyal to a mere principle. And so when you unpack this, it wasn't so for this church because they believed that Jesus was the promise of God. And when we have this understanding promise of God, which is huge, which is major, it shapes everything we think. If you're taking notes, here's where we're going to go and spend some time and unpack this because I want you to see that understanding the promises of God. If Paul were writing to us, if I could say one thing, even though I'm not your high school pastor, I'm a lot of your friends. And I'm one of the pastors here at church. And, and, and if I could say something that, that, that when studying First Thessalonians, that Paul would say to us as you go back into school, some of you seniors as you go off to college, some of you freshmen as you become sophomore, if I could say something to you as though you are nominal in your belief in Jesus or if you're passionate in your belief in Jesus, there's a perspective that I think this church understood that if we could hold on to, it would change everything. It would change everything. And it's this. This church were people, these Thessalonians were people who found power in the fulfilled promises of God, but it didn't stop there. They were people who found hope in the future promises of God. Let me make it real simple. They were people who lived, here, here it is, they lived in the beautiful tension of the promises of God. And here's what I would say to you. If you say you are a believer, if you're on the outside of faith and not sure where you land, it's the beauty of faith is this, that we are people of the promises of God, the fulfilled promises of God and the future promises of God. Scripture says this, all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And so it's sitting in that reality, dude, that, that if I have the perspective that I'm a person who lives in the tension, the middle, let's write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's the idea that promise, right? And I live in the middle of the fulfilled and future. This is you and me, somehow, right? But I live, kind of my arms are jacked up, sorry about that. But I live in the tension 
of the fulfilled promises of God, which are Jesus, and the future promises of God, which are Jesus. Your notes have it. We are people who live in the power of the fulfilled promises of Jesus and, and, and the hope of the future promises of Jesus. That, that Scripture says that we are people of promise. And here's what I know. Promise is a huge, major, big deal in Scripture. Like, there's probably no more significant or no more weight held to any idea than, than the promises of God. All the way back to covenant theology in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, promise of God. Through the prophets, what I was just saying, promise of God. Jesus making these promises, right? And so many people refer to the Bible you hold in your hand or the person next to you or what I'm teaching from as the promise of God. So promise is this huge, huge deal in Scripture. Look at me. But boy, it holds no weight in our society. The word promise holds no weight in our culture. Be honest with me. How true is it? It's almost like the <clears throat> you cannot turn on the news without hearing about, and I know a lot of you guys aren't like pro, pro, you know professional politicians or really into politics yet, but you're going to get this because you're just living and breathing and you've got the internet and you've got TV. How true is it that we live in a place, you cannot turn on the TV for just a moment without seeing some politician who's made promises with his mouth that his character can't back up. He's made promises, yeah, to, with his mouth that his character can't back up, right? Here's one for you, and I know a lot of you guys don't have this on, but, but this thing I've got on my finger right here, this wedding ring. The ultimate kind of symbol of a vow, a promise I made to my wife in front of hundreds of people and she made to me. And I wear this not because it marries me, but because it reminds me of the promises that we made to each other before this audience. How much weight does this ring even hold in our society anymore, though, let's be honest? Because the truth is this, a lot of you live in the brokenness and the hollowness of broken promises made when two people said they were going to spend their life together. Right or wrong, not your fault. Or if you don't, you know friends who do. And so this ultimate example of what a promise should be in our culture has this reality. But, but I think there's an innocence of promise I want you to catch. Let me show you a picture. A lot of you guys have met them, but I want to show you a picture of my two kids. They're cute. Throw them up there, fellas. Um, this is Carson and Claire. And this is, uh, there they are, Okay. So uh, that's them. They're a trip. They're a trip. They're always into something. Um, Carson laughs at everything. He's got red cheeks. Claire, Carson's two years old, and uh, like two years old in two months. He's chattering away. He's still not got the English language, but he's getting there. And this is Claire. She's 11 months old, going on 11 years old. She's got quite the personality, okay? And, and all that to say, all that to say, yeah, she's just sitting there like this. I know it's weird. Okay, thanks. He's making fun of my kid. All right. No, I know. I know you're not. But here, here's the deal. Uh, the, the thing about it is there's like an unspoken promise and an unspoken trust between me and my kids. Here, here's the deal. I don't think Carson and Claire would even get the idea of promise, right? If I said, Carson, I promise you this, I don't think he's at the age where he gets that. But there's like this unspoken promise in his life that I will, an unspoken promise in Claire's life, that be just because I'm their father, that I will protect them, I will defend them, I will provide for them, I will always be there for them, I will care for them, 
all these different promises that I've never spoken, but just because I'm their father, we have between us. And I know that because when we go to like the pool or when we go to the lake, Carson will jump off 10 feet, 12 feet, it doesn't matter how high into whatever amount of water there is with as little flotation devices as possible as long as dad is there because dad will protect him. And Claire knows that she's got like this, she's 11 months old, and she's got like this belly cry that when she's hungry, you know, and she's got like this different cry. There's like, I'm hungry and kind of cranky cry, you know what I mean? And so she's, and she knows if she throws that cry on, I get the picture that it's time to provide for her and give her some food. And she's funny eating because she's like, you know, and so uh, she's just learning to eat and everything. But, but so they get that. And when we ever, and Carson and Claire, if they were to walk in here right now, and even though they would know some of you guys, Carson would grab my leg like this and stick real close to my leg. Why? Because it's different, it's new, he doesn't know everybody because he knows I will defend him, right? Even though I've never said, Carson, I will defend you, not even he knows what defend means. Because I'm his father, there's those unspoken promises and trust that's there. But here's what I know about each one of you. You live in the reality of broken promises. A friend said, I pro- some guy told you he promises. You had an unspoken promise that between your parents and yourself and, and somewhere that unspoken promise was broken or maybe there was a spoken promise along the way that in your mind or in your reality has been broken and there's been a friend who said, I promise this or there's been a boyfriend that said, I promise this or there's been a girlfriend that said, I promise this and we throw the word promise around and so here's what I say. When I say you are people of the promises of God, you filter it through your reality of our current status of promise and it doesn't Hold much weight. And you have been a person at one time or the other, not all of us, but many of us in this room who have broken promises, right? And you are a person who's, so we hear this idea of promise of God and it doesn't hold because we filter it through our reality of our current understanding of promise. So know that going in. But Paul keeps on tracking in chapter 4. If you're in the Bible, if not, you don't have to turn there. Just listen to me. Because he's not just talking about the fulfilled promises of God, which are Jesus. He's talking about the future promises of God, which are Jesus. Because he wants them to understand and to get that they are people of the promise of God. So he's tracking and here's what he said. Because now he's talking about, because he wants them to get that they are people of promise. He says this, verse 16 of chapter 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. With a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. This is big. This is where that spooky, ooh, type stuff starts coming in that some of us think. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And here's what I want you to catch. Paul's starting to write. He's not just talking about, look at me. He's not talking about, the. he's saying, you are people of promise, the fulfilled promises of God, which are in Jesus. And then he begins to point to the future promises of God, which are in Jesus. And he says this, encourage each other one, each other with this. Not only are you people of the fulfilled promise of God, which here's what that means. If you are a person who claims the name of Christ, who says, I am following Christ, that you have been forgiven of sin, that you're not bound by your past, that you are in Christ, if you are a person of that, there's this also this huge reality of the future promises of God, which are Christ Jesus, which is this. He's coming back. 
And, and we hear that and we filter it through our theologies or our different understandings or movies about the end of the world or our different conversations we've had or different messages or different things we've seen on, on TV. And so we go, Jesus is coming again. I'm not sure how all that looks. And here's what I'm saying. In essence, this is what I want to tell you. If you claim the name of Christ, big news tonight is this. We win. Now, hear me. Believers in this room, we win. Like, the story is not, like, unfinished. The game is not like in overtime, right? The, the jury is not out for debate. The biggest thing that I think we miss is this, that if we are people of the fulfilled promise of God, if we get that, if we're people of the future promise of God, if we get that, we are people, big idea is this, we win, Jesus is coming again. We reign victorious. We are people of promises of God. We, we win. Whatever situation you're in, whatever reality you're in. So here's how this plays out if you're a 16-year-old or 17-year-old. Here's how we unpack this. Because if the fulfilled and the future promises of God are Jesus, right? What does that mean for now? If you realize this, that I'm a person who lives in the promises of God, which are in Jesus, and I'm a person who lives in the fulfilled promise of God, here's what I know. I'm not bound by my past, that shame is not central in my life, that my position in Christ is secure, right? That what has been lost to me can be found, that what has been broke can be fixed. Here's how I know that we don't live with that perspective. How many of us try to hide from who we really are or what we've really done or what we really think by living in this facade or this persona that's not really us because we're so damaged inside, we can't come to grips with who we are, so we have this whole personality to curb who we really are because we don't want people in too close because we live in brokenness, we live in hurt, we live in pain. And, and it's the idea that if you realize that you're a person of the, that lives in the fulfilled promise of God and that in Christ Jesus you are forgiven, you are freed, you are bound. You, it changes everything. Here's the litmus test for me when I lose perspective. When the memories of your past exceed the dreams of your future, your, your, your perspective's off. That's good. Like I'm not telling you there's a lot good I'm saying. That's good. You better write that down. When the memories of your past exceed the dreams of your future, perspective is off. Perspective is off. And for a lot of us, we've, we're 15 and we're horrified of the future because we know what the past is. And we know how things have been broken and we know how we've been lied to or we know how many mistakes we've made. And so, dude, there's like this big picture of the, and we're not too quite sure because our perspective's off. We're not understanding the promises of God, which are in Christ Jesus, right? And see, if you're a person who understands the future promises of God and lives in that perspective and sees things that way, here's how you know what's different. Here's how you know what's different. It's the idea that you don't actually have to be anxious about the future. You can eagerly anticipate the future. That's good. 
that you don't actually have to be anxious about what's going to happen here and I'm not sure what's going to go on here and what if this happens and what if and what if and what if, and what if all these different things we play out. But, but if you're a person who actually believes your perspective is changed because of this person, Jesus, that you actually instead of uh, are, are anxious or are full of anxiety about the future, that you can eagerly anticipate the future. Eagerly anticipate it. It's all in a change of shift. It's all in a change, change of thought. We win is the big idea. Sports fans in the room, let me see, see your hands. Any sports fans in the rooms, okay? And I'm, I'm a big sports fan. Uh, football season six weeks away. Thank God, right? You know, yeah, thank you. Um, golf season's going on. I know you guys are all huge golf fans. Stuart Sink's a local guy. He won. You don't even know what he do. All right, that a boy. Um, <clears throat> Let me tell you what drives me crazy. We're about to be done here. Let me tell you what drives me crazy. Narcissistic sports fans. Okay, or, or, or maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe I should just say annoying sports fans. Okay, now I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan. And so, no, hold on, hold on. Okay, bark and all you want to, but here you'll never be around a more of a narcissistic people or annoying people than a, a pure down right here in my heart Georgia fan. Because here's how a lot of times this comes across. Okay, a narcissistic sports fan, an annoying sports fan. Here's how it comes across. Well, we won, but our defense played really bad. Well, we won, but our quarterback can't complete a pass. Well, we won, but our coach doesn't know what kind of what game he's calling. Well, we won, but our offensive line can't block. Well, we won, but our running backs can't hold on to the ball. Well, we won, but if it's baseball, it's a Braves fan or any kind of fan, it's, well, we won, but our bullpen's weak. Well, we won, but we're not hitting the same. Well, we won, but our pitching can't. Well, we won, but if it's basketball, well, we won, but we can't rebound. Well, we won, but we can't shoot. In a narcissistic sports fan, here's the deal. It's always we won, but. Now, I get the idea of being a sports fan, which means this. you That's what, that's what fans do. We pick it apart. We think about it. We talk about it because it's fun. But at some point, we forget the whole idea that the reason we play the game is to win, and we've won, but we lose the joy in winning because all we do is complain about what we didn't do right, even though we've won. It's the exact same for believers. You've won in Christ Jesus. The victory is yours. You have been freed and forgiven of an eternity spent separated from God. You are in Christ. He will return. He will reign victoriously. We win. We win. We win. But all of us, for all the time, many things that we struggle with is that we often look at, but look at this in my life. But look at this in my situation. But this. Yeah, we win, but my parents suck. Come on. Don't make sure we're not recording this while I say parents suck. Well, we win, but, but, my, but my friends just lie to me. Well, we win, but this happened and it was bad. Well, we win, but. Well, we win. You're like, yeah, I love Jesus. It's basic, but, right? And at some point, we forget we love Jesus because all we do is focus on this other stuff. And boy, it's true for 15-year-olds. And boy, it's true for 17-year-olds right? And what I'm saying is this, your perspective is different because your people have promised. Get that. As a teenager, understand that. Grab that because it would change everything. We close with this. Here's what Paul writes. 
Because he's wanting them to understand. Here's the big difference if you're taking notes right this. It's the difference between being awake or asleep. It's the difference between being awake or asleep, having right perspective. Paul says this, and, and I close. He, he's writing, and he tells them basically in chapter 5 toward the end. He goes, but you brothers, this is verse 4, chapter 5. You're not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. Then not, don't let us be like others who are asleep. He said this in verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it said, verse 10. He died for us so that we, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up. It's the difference between being awake or asleep. If we get the gravity and the weight and the significance to who this Jesus is, that it's not just this religious understanding or not this just behavior modification plan, but it actually changes everything, it's unbelievable. But when we hold on to it just as this words of man or this religion thing, it changes nothing. Awake or asleep, awake or asleep. I did student ministry. In fact, I hung out with you guys for a year and a half. I've been out of here for about a year and a half, two years now, but I hung out with you guys. And the first eight or nine years of my uh, ministry was in college ministry and like high school and middle school ministry. I really liked college ministry. I really liked high school ministry, middle schoolers, eh, you know. But yeah, that's the way you feel about it too, right? No, I'm kidding. Middle schoolers, God loves them too. He does. You know, he, yeah, okay. But I loved them. But I did, I'm just picking on Student ministry I did for a long time. And it was a blast. But let me tell you what drove me crazy about some of you guys. I'm about to pick on you for a second because I'm not your high school pastor anymore. Let me tell you what was the most annoying thing about working with high school students. The number one thing was this. It was when you went up to one of you guys because here's, I'm a pastor and you guys weren't too bad, honestly, but there's other ministries I've been in because this is like not the only church I've worked at or the only thing I've been in. And although some of you guys, I'm probably talking about you when I say this, but I still love you. But here's what would happen. I'd, you go up to a high school, especially boys, let's pick on them for a second. And they're 14 or 15 or 16, and, and the pastor comes up to them, hey man, how's it going? Uh. Hey man, good to see you tonight, what's going on? Uh. Hey, dude, man, great seeing you, bro. We're glad you're here. What's going on? <laughs> hey, hey, dude, we are pumped. Some of you know exactly because it's you. Dang it, I can point at you. I'm looking at some of you, okay? But I'm not going to because that's Anson's deal. And so we came, and, and dude, how's it going, man? It was good to see you guys. Awesome as well, dude. We're glad you're here. How's things going? <laughs> I wanted to look at some of you and go, use syllables, man. That's all you got to do. Right? Just like you can, you, I'm not like going to bite you. I'm not going to like call this hex down on you. I'm just ask, asking, how are you doing today? Good, Jason. How are you? You know, and that's all you would get from you. And some of you girls, how you doing? You go, what are you doing? I'm asking, man, we're glad. And it, I want you to know that when an adult comes out, he's not coming to me. He's just going, how's it going? He's not trying to crimp your style. Or, hey, man, I'm 15, dude. Back off. You're 15, bro. You don't even pay taxes. Give me a break, right? <laughs> I, mean, bro, you, I mean, I could go for hours on you guys, and I love you. You know I do, okay? But I always was like, please. And it would drive me crazy because I'm like, I'm not trying to be your best friend or tell you how to do the rest of your life. All I'm trying to do is go, hey, how are you? Uh, and here's the deal. Thank you. Here's what I came to realize. Some of that's just because you're 14 or 15. And if you have your parents here, if there's some of you adults, you've got teenagers, you go, how's your day at school? Uh, 
You know, like, you, just talk. You don't have to tell me like five sentences, but five syllables help the whole thing out here, right? But here's what I learned about you guys. A lot of you, you do that because there's so much stuff going on in your head and you're so disturbed or bothered or worried about what other people think or the way people perceive you or just you're so hurt and bitter toward God or toward church or maybe not even that, but you're just not interested in talking to anybody. Your response is, huh. And that's what I learned about you. Some of you, it's just because you're 15 or 16, hormones, all that kind of stuff going on. Others of you, it's just because all this stuff. So, so, but here's what I wanted to do to you. I'll be honest with you. Not all of you, but some of you. Because I love you. I wanted to, go, I wanted to grab you by the shoulders and go, wake up. The world's not against you. Everybody's not out to beat you down. Wake up. I just wanted to shake you and go, wake up. You're at a church, and there's actually a Starbucks here. Things aren't that bad, okay? And, and there's actually lights, and there's actually some type of decent music, right? It's not the worst place in the world, and you just wanted to go, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Look at me, and we're done. I honest to God believe that there's a heavenly Father that's looking at a lot of you tonight going, wake up. Spiritually speaking, wake up perspective. You, my friends, are people of the promises of God, which are yes in Jesus. We win. You're not bound by your past. You're not defined by, who's, by what somebody said about you. Your parents can't determine your future, good or bad. It is yours right? They can help build you and help grow you. But dude, this life is not that bad. You win. We win. Here's what I want you to do. Kevin, the banner coming up to play. I want you to turn to your neighbor right here before, I pray, before we pray. I want you to give him a big five, high five and I want you to say this, we win. Just say, we win. All right. Okay. I want to pray for you, and here's how we're going to end before y'all do your little cute game called karaoke, okay? Before Paul comes up here and you do your cute, shh, shh, look at me. I want everybody to stand up with me. Stand up, stand up, put your stuff down. Shh. And I want to pray for you. Look at me. This year at school, you probably won't hear from me again. You'll see me around 12 stone, but it's all about your perspective. I'm going to ask some of you guys. Who wins? Shh. But here's what I want you to see. It's all in your perspective. Because here it is. At some point, your perception becomes your reality. And so we're going to close the night, or at least this portion before we go on to the next portion, by, by just returning thanks to God. We do this sometimes. Sometimes we indifferently. There's no groups tonight, and there's a game in the end, but I think God will be okay if we focus on him for a second as we end. What song are we doing? How great thou art and our God. A lot of you guys know this song. And, and here's what I want to do. I want to pray over you, and here's our return. We're going to give back to God and say this, how great is our God. You know this song. The words will be up there, but here's what I want you to do. Look at me, then we're done. 
Where do you need to step into? What promise do you need to make a reality in your life? What I mean by this is, if you are a believer, some of you need to stop worried about your past being defined by your shame. What's been lost can be found. What's been broken can be fixed. You need to claim tonight through this song, through maybe your prayer in just a second, that I am a person who lives in the fulfilled promises of God, which are Jesus. And whatever is haunting you, whatever your memory is that's holding you down, whatever doubt from your past, from last week, from two months ago, from six years ago, you need to say the name Jesus over. And there's some of you who are anxious about your future. Stuff at home is bad. Stuff in your personal life is bad. There's things going on and you don't know what this year's going to look like. There's health issues with you or a friend or you and a family member. There's like divorce looming. There's like stuff that's weird that's going on all around you. And you are anxious instead of anticipating. Here's what you need to do. When it comes to your future, here's what you need to say. Jesus. Perspective. Past. Jesus future, Jesus. We're people of promise. Changes everything. So Jesus, I pray for these students. I love them. They are, I don't know all of them, I know a lot of them, and they are a blessed ministry. They're a blessed group of students. And so I pray that tonight, we would close this time out by giving you the worth, the praise, the adoration that you deserve, claiming that you are great, and that wherever we need to say the name of Jesus in this time, that we would say the name of Jesus, that it would ring true. If we need to move past our past, that we would do that. If we need to embrace our future, that we would do that. Do that. But whatever's happening in our life, that we would say the name Jesus. That we would say the name Jesus. So we love you. We worship you now. For it's your precious name I pray.